straight from South Africa. South Africa. This is the strange and mysterious world with your hosts, Lee Straightman, William Paulson, Paulson. Welcome to season one, episode five of Strange and Mysterious World with uh, William and Lee. Um, and tonight we've got quite an interesting topic. It's a South African um, homegrown expedition, if you want to say, um, one of our own abductions slash love story slash, I don't know what else we want to put it into. <laughs> there's, there's quite a lot to unpack with that uh, Elizabeth Clara story. But um, before we get on to there, well, um, so obviously we've got Diwali on tonight. So if there's a couple of bangs in the background, please, I'm not in Gaza. Uh, I'm in Durban. I think the guys misunderstood, you know, with Diwali, the Festival of Light. I think they misunderstood. They got, they got the wrong message and they thought it was Festival of Sound. Um, but that's, you know, that's okay. I think uh, <laughs> we'll move on from there. How are you going with the um, Monroe Institute? Because I managed finally to get past disc one, uh, wave one, that, that the intro. But it took three times that I got, I got, because I, st- I spent a little bit of time in Johannesburg and I got home early one night. So I thought, okay, cool. I'm, I'm going to do this now. And I sat in a chair and I promise you halfway I fell asleep. And then I woke up right at the end and then I looked at it. I thought, okay, it's half an hour. Let me try again. Yeah. Went on again. Hey, fell asleep 20 minutes in. I was, I was tossing one way. <laughs> got up again, walked around a bit, had a cup of coffee and I managed to finish the intro. So I got it. I, I actually, I can't actually believe. But when I went on to episode two, which is back on the plane, I fell asleep. So I'm now stuck on stuck on the <laughs> part two of the disc. Okay, well, it sounds like, geez, I wish I could have <laughs> something like that because it put me to sleep when I need to sleep. Um, it's going to uh, take me a year to get past this, this uh, series, <laughs> the way that I'm going down. But, but anyway, for listeners that are only... Uh, Listen is have come and and only listen to this um episode. We did an episode, our last episode was our out-of-body experiences and how um how to induce them and about a bit, bit about the Monroe Institute and um and yeah, so listen to the last episode. Yeah, don't so come and ask questions now. Go back. <laughs> yeah, so we listen go to, back and listen, man. We're trying to listen to the the gateway experience to induce these out-of-body experiences. I've actually got it's funny. Last night I did. I did. I'm up to number four. Um, the so I'm just looking at the because I, I got a bit confused with the. Uh, um, I'm just trying to see the with the order. Yeah, because because like I got to. Can I see what it was called here now? It was yeah. Uh, so just discover. So discovery number four: release and recharge. So I did discovery. That's quite far in, dude. Just, I don't know if I've got them mixed up here or what's going on, but like I did one, two, three. Orientation, intro to focus 10. So there, so that's what I'm missing. Because I I got up to number four and then well, last night. So I'm busy listening to it and it tells you go through your you know all the steps and whatever and I'm going through them. And then halfway through 15 minutes into it, it says, now start doing what you were told in, to do in focus 10 or something like that. And I'm thinking like, what the hell, did, what was I supposed to do in focus 10? So there was a bit that, because obviously in each each disc, it teaches you a little bit more of what to do. And then and then by number four there, you got to try and do it on your own. Yeah. 
to focus 10 and I was supposed to do something about focus 10 and I didn't have a clue <laughs> what this focus 10 was. So I'm like, oh my gosh, I must have missed something in one of the, the, the discs or something. I've missed something. So, but anyway, then I, I just listened to the rest and uh, kind of drifted off a little bit. But it's funny, but then I got up um, because what I'm listening to at the end of them, I always feel very like awake. Like it's like I kind of drift off in them while like sleeping. And then when I when it's finished, I like feel very awake. Um and when I, I got out of bed last night and I, I I went to turn off some lights in the house and I was feeling kind of floaty, like my whole body was like all like weird, like like I was like floaty like this. Um but yeah, that's about as exciting as this phone, unfortunately. Okay. Listen, before we carry on, um, Will, um I just wanted to give a bit of a shout out to, we've actually got a, a, a fan out in uh, New Zealand. Her name is Catherine Holland. She oh. sent us actually such a nice uh, message. Um, so thanks, Catherine, for following. And um, yeah, I hope to uh, hear from you again soon, man. Much appreciated for your for your follow. Oh, cool. But anyway, back on to Elizabeth Clara, the South African story. Okay, cool, man. So what, is, what do you know about Elizabeth Clara? All right, so look, obviously being with MUFON, um, I did do a little research prior to, you know, while I was still with them, I do know the story. I have read the book, obviously, since then. Um, and do, do you remember the American couple, uh, Betty and Barney Hill? Yes, yeah, very well-known UFO abductions. Yeah, so they were supposed to be one of the first, like it was in 1969, I think it was, uh, they were abducted. But the Elizabeth Clara story actually is way before that. So, uh, yeah, she was she was born in South Africa, um, Moy River, which up, up in my end of the woods. Yeah, um, uh, it's probably about about an hour and a half, two hours away from me now. Uh, she's in KZN. Um, she was born in 1910. Uh, she her first experience with the UFOs was I think she was around about seven, so it was about 1917. She must remember at this stage. Yeah, this is actually quite. It's it's it wasn't a well known thing at that time. So she's already reporting, or she's already seeing with her sister at that stage, they'd already seen this thing. And then it happened again, I think it was about 10 years later. And then again in the, in the 1950s, it was in 1954, she had a first encounter with an alien being that apparently landed uh, on their farm. And so they struck up a relationship. Look, I'm going to very basics because the book uh, Beyond the Light Barrier is like reading a science textbook at school. It's full of jargon. Um, if you don't understand, you know, if, you, if you're a scientist, you might understand a little bit more. But if you're not a scientist, you'll probably get bored very quickly. Uh, my wife tried to read it and she said, Jesus, is this book the whole way like this? <laughs> my brain is like melting after the first, <laughs> first but, chapter. But that's also what made it so credible was that she was invited to all of these amazing like uh, scientific conferences all around the world because of the knowledge that she had. And she said that she actually got it from this guy, Archon or whatever that abducted her. Correct. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. That, and that's what made the story so fascinating was like, how does this woman know? And in those days, you know, the, you know, you know, women weren't like um, in high regard of like science and mathematics, or whatever or they, you know, they weren't really uh, encouraged to go in that direction and yeah this woman had all of this knowledge and like uh, it was just so intelligent and like everyone was like oh my gosh what how did she get all this knowledge and that made the story yeah. incredible yeah so you know when i was reading the book i was i was on the again and, and i like to say this a lot but i was a little bit on the fence with this one because a lot of the stuff that she chats about 
kind of especially the the scientific stuff i think there's there's an element of of truth to it she mentioned a planet uh out in the i think it was the alpha centauri um star system that these guys live on apparently they live on seven planets there um and they've only discovered one planet i think it was earlier like 2011 or something they've they discovered a planet there so which is livable uh from our side here so Look, there's a lot of stuff that you spoke about, which made a lot of sense. He, it's the same story, you know, with regards to humankind is not ready yet to receive um, any alien help because we haven't re reached that uh, vibrational uh, level yet. We're still too low in the vibration. We're very uh, violent. We're aggressive. It's the same kind of story that keeps coming, you know, with every with every abduction, you hear the same kind of stories. Um, which is cool. I mean, I, I understand that. Um, what made her story a little bit different is that she obviously mated with this uh, Archon, um, and she went to their world, Meton, um, which was out in the um, Alpha Centauri system, and she had a child, and the child obviously stayed stayed with the father. Um, she developed tele uh, telepathic uh, abilities, which she was able to communicate with him. Uh, the the problem the problem for me with the book was the story the story kind of almost involved um, look she was she was very she was very clever she was a clever woman she used to fly aircraft back in the fifties uh, she was part of the Royal Air Force um, so she you know she wasn't stupid she she had a brain on her and uh, she she knew her way around a certain military um, you know military areas. And, you know, saying that, I think the story, because it almost, L. Ron Hubbard would have actually loved writing a book about this, because as much as it was a scientific novel, there was a love story in it, but there was also like the Russians had developed some UFO and the UFO had landed there, but it was a nut and bolt thing that you could see and the, and the Russians came out of the UFO. So, ah, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, for me, it, that became a little bit too maybe science fiction. Oh, yes, so I think there might have been a bit of. I remember that yes, because she she said in the book that there wasn't just the, because the craft that used to come pick her up was seamless and it was smooth and everything, and then all of a sudden yeah. this other craft that came, and these yeah. and it had it had pop rivets and it was like bolts in it and everything, and that actually landed there, and she could see the difference that it was a different clock craft. But that's actually yeah. pretty fascinating if that came out. What what is the date you said that, that, that yeah that was back in the fifties eh? that was like nineteen fifty so I think that story. that incident was like in nineteen fifty six around about wow. then and also what also I found also fascinating is that she was going on about like that they want us to eat a vegan diet and then I mean like that's I mean the veganism <laughs> only come like really popular nowadays but like she was going on about that in the fifties saying that that's how I mean, that's like a whole new age, new age kind of movement now is that you want to get your yeah. vibration that high, you've got to have a vegan diet and not in, in, eat any animal products whatsoever, not even milk. And uh, and she was going on about that in the 50s, and that Archon, the alien, was telling her that you've got to eat a fully plant diet to raise your vibration. I thought that was quite yeah. as well. So the, the, interesting, the interesting thing about the book was that um, although his first contact with her was back when she was uh, seven years old, um, he didn't really make contact with her back until it was the 1950s. And then you must remember now, she's in her 40s at this time. So she had already been married twice. She's already got kids. 
um, here on earth. So she was only contacted Dan. And when she asked the reason, he said, it's taken you this period of time to get to the level of vibration and consciousness and understanding for us to contact you, which I found interesting. For me, that was interesting because it wasn't just a immediate contact. She had to she had to get to a certain level before they would contact her. And in the book, the, the, the general basis of the book, he says that unfortunately human beings, they are on a self-destruct path. We can't work together, unfortunately, because we are all, we're in it for ourselves. We, we are not willing to help each other. And on this path that we're currently on, they can never contact us. We actually have to come out of that. We have to work together. We have to raise our vibration. Only then will they be able to come and assist us, which I understand. Uh, the other interesting thing that he mentioned, which uh, you know, we, we might have to delve into this at, at another stage, but he says they actually originated on Venus, the planet Venus. And it was the sun's, it was the sun's radiation that actually caused the damage on Venus and they had to leave. But they, at that stage, they had already developed intergalactic travel. So they managed to find another home out in space. I remember because that's what he was saying to her. She, he said that he, he's he's worried about Earth because of the sun. Like the sun is mm. like, so worried. Like he's like, you guys are crazy because you got to, I don't know how what he was saying, but he said, I remember he was saying something, something with the sun that he's really worried about and uh, it's not going to end well. Yeah, because you must remember the Earth's, the Earth's weather is governed by the sun's activity. Yeah. And unfortunately, the sun is very, it's it's kind of in its older stages. It's not a young sun. It's in it's in older stages, and every eleven years or so, it actually expands. And and well, not the sun, but the the corona. It it, it gives out certain radiation. Yes, and the sun. And it's, it's like they have, the sunspots have like a certain uh, a cycle of the seven or eleven years or something. And eleven point one years. Yeah, very quiet over the last few years. That the, the cycle is supposed to go into it hasn't gone into that. Yeah which is a bit worrying because maybe maybe it's going to release something insane correct so that's what they're actually watching for that's what that's what they're waiting for the next thing's by fire we're going to die by fire maybe that's the sun (laughs) something some crazy sun uh corona what's it ejection that's gonna you know wipe us out i mean they say if one that happens like they did in like when was the last huge um sun's flare up um that fried all the the one of these machines that you tap the it, it burnt out all of the 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 uh, the very primitive uh, communication thing that we had at the time and they said if it happens now it'll it'll totally wipe out all the satellite mm. communication and everything but it was that but it was big i don't know it was i don't know if it was in the i, don't, I can't remember but um there was one that wiped out um Telegram, telegram communication, like whenever telegram communication was available. Oh, that was back in the 1800s. Yeah, and it, and it made fires and everything mm. in, the, in, the, in those, those places that, that dealt with that. And then um, they said if, it, if there was another one that big, it would fry, like wipe out all of our satellite communication. We would go mm. totally, like the world would be upside down for, for, for a while. It would not be good. Yeah. Um, so look, according to them, they inhabited Mars and then inhabited Earth. So there, there were three planets in the solar system that they, they inhabited. But the sun's radiation caused damage and destroyed most of uh, Mars and, and, and Venus. 
Now, the interesting thing as well is he says that they actually created the pyramids. Because way before any of the Egyptians actually even came onto those lands, those pyramids were created. And he says those pyramids are actually um, cosmic. It's a cosmic library. And that once at some stage, we will understand it and we'll be able to unlock the secrets that are in the pyramid. So he said there's actually knowledge there. It's 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 obviously he didn't give us how, how to do it. Probably we haven't reached those levels yet. But that was interesting. So look, there was a lot of interesting things in the book. And, and I was having a look at it and I thought, yeah. besides the jargon, which is it's hard to get through, I promise you. Because like she describes every sea as like the sparkling sapphire of bright, beautiful. And I'm thinking, just say sea, man. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? And the sunset is like this, this uh, what's it? This caught sun that's dropping down the sea, and it's. And I'm just thinking, no, just say it's a sunset. <laughs> Easy. The people that are reading the book don't want to. We don't want to go back to school and understand and go through textbook again. You know what I mean? It's just. Uh, so it's not like pa- like it's not like it's like a pa- poetical way, like description of how the sun says. She's saying it in like a scientific. It's like heavily in depth, dude. It's like wow, man. Uh, just say sunset. <laughs> but anyway, barring that, there was a lot of there was a lot of nuggets of uh, of um, things that I thought were actually pretty cool and and kind of lean towards things that I've always believed. Um, so you know. I, I think there is. I do think there's an element of truth in in her story. I think there's uh, uh, there's a lot to consider, um, but I do think that perhaps she might have she might have actually got a bit uh, added in a bit of an Elrond Hubbard type thing. You know what I mean? Where it's like the sci-fi where the Russians are trying to take over the world, and then you've got like the aliens that have managed to take the other aliens out and. And they're there to save the world, and she was there to save the world. And I'm thinking, yeah, that's that's Elrond Hubbard stories. But yeah. the rest of it was actually pretty cool. But um, did she? Because you said that we're not at a vibrational state to actually communicate with aliens, or whatever. But what made her special? Did she try any like was she doing some meditation or yoga or I mean, her vegan diet? Yeah. So, so right in the beginning, so she had these feelings. I think that uh, Archon might have been sending her. And she started developing. Uh, she, she was her telepathic abilities. What she started doing is like right early on in the early age, she started trying to communicate with dogs and plants and also and horses because she was quite into horses. Um, and she would she over the years she developed this um, this ability telepathy. She actually had an OBE. Out of body experience. It's one part in the book where she actually mentions that she leaves her body. I think it was she was in her sister's house when it happens. So obviously she had obviously got to a level where or a point where she was able to do that. And I think she made she managed to make communication at that time as well. So yeah, it took years um to get to the point. I mean, look, born in 1910, the first rendezvous with old uh, Archon was in 1956. That's 46 years later. <laughs> 1954, sorry. 44 years later, like an old bullet at that time. I mean, it's like you're not you're not in your like early stages of life. You're like heading off towards the end there. Yeah, sure. Okay, I'm not. I shouldn't be saying that. I mean, I'm already 51, so <laughs> I'm hoping I'm not heading off towards the end. But you know what I'm saying? She's in the later years. She's not like an early, um, like a, a young bud. Yeah. 
So yeah, it took time. It took time for it to develop. So for me, it's possible. It, you know, it, it wasn't like a quick um, meeting. She hadn't had any practice. She was developing her skills as she went along. And she managed to communicate with him. And he actually said to her, if you hadn't developed this, uh, I would never be able to communicate with you. Also, you know what I find also fascinating about people that are, have had the, the communication experiences or so they have. It's like, because I mean, I've also made a UFO documentary um, and I've you know, interviewed a lot of people in South Africa that have claimed to be you know, in contact with aliens and like they, like they act like they're the chosen ones or whatever. But, you know, I'm always like seeing these people and I'm just thinking like, you know, you've been contacted by, you know, people, you know, advanced civilization has traveled, you know, found way more intelligent than us, traveled multiple, you know, light years, hundreds of thousands of light years to get you. And then they, and they're supposed to be way more, you know, smarter than us. And then they choose you. And what are you doing with this? Like, it seems mm. like the, some of the people I've met, like, and no disrespect to them because I know some of them have been gone through some crazy ordeals and stuff. But I'm like, I'm always thinking, like, what's the contribution? They, they picked you, and what is what is your contribution now? Like, and they always like, yeah. they always too busy in their life doing this or they're doing that, and they and they and, and it's like, I mean, couldn't they have picked someone that that was more influential in society, <laughs> could make a change or like do something? And they always just pick up like um, people that have. You know, basically, like some of them are. I mean, I don't want to disrespect. Well, I can see what you're going to say. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I'm like, what the hell? Loser. Yes, like years across the galaxy, and they chose you. I mean, what is it? You've got no contribution, not even to society. Never mind how you're going to help them. But anyway, but I'm just saying, Elizabeth, uh, her story. It actually they 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 chose I think quite a a, um, a a decent person. I mean, she wrote a book. She got it out. She she was involved. Yeah. A lot of people, a lot of these uh, influential kind of like um, uh, conferences overseas. Yeah, she did a lot. So they I think they mm. did a, they did a bit of good homework there, and they, they nailed a, a, an okay one there. I mean, you know, yeah, they, you know, they could have taken Barack Obama or something. I mean, I think they would have been a bit more. <laughs> a bit more but I mean, sometimes I mean, sometimes you get these guys out. Hey man, I saw this UFO landing in the next yard, and this thing abducted me, and I found myself on the table, and this thing shoved something up my ass. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Why would you deal with people like that? I don't, I don't know, dude. Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, but let's um, because I think Uga's waiting for us to give us a, a call. Yeah, cool. Let's get let's, let's get on. Let's just introduce her quick. So, well, thanks, Uga, for being here. Appreciate you having us having, having you on the show. And Buongiorno, come sta? Bene, grazie tu. Bene, bene, bene. Wow. Is that it? That's, <laughs> That's the extent of my telling. So, yeah, we want to just talk about this wonderful documentary you made. And, um, well, firstly, we just want to find out, like, okay, well, so what, what, what got you, what made you interested in making this documentary? Okay, well, so this so this story broke in the Heisgenoot when I was eight years old in the 80s, okay? And it was written by Petrovna Mettlerkamp, who um, back then sort of specialized in the more sort of out there subjects. And my mom obviously religiously bought the Heisgenoot, like, why wouldn't you? And um, I read this article and had my interpretation as an eight-year-old. And it wasn't the alien that got me. What really 
pissed me off at the time was the fact that, and I just remember this, she said that the lights, the spaceship lights blinded one of her cats. And being a cat person, I was really pissed off about that because I just felt if you're so smart and cool and fab, why don't you do something about the lights in your spaceship or fix the cat? Yeah. So, you know, for this heavy <laughs> alien that's so advanced, I, w- I just wasn't that impressed because of the cat. And then the story stuck. But I was, I was also really fascinated, again, not necessarily by the alien side of it, but more Elizabeth Clara, this female woman who did some pretty cool things, whether it was a lie or not. Let's for a minute um, take this as a reality. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Even so, and even if she did lie, what a lie, what a brave lie to tell, to get people's attention, to get her message across. Yeah, I thought, because I read the book, so I thought, you know, the... I agree. I think there's a lot of things that were said that kind of seemed almost too sci-fi. I was, we were mentioning a little bit earlier, like uh, L. Ron Hubbard would have been in his element. Uh, but there's a lot of stuff where I was chatting to Will earlier, and I said, it's a, a lot of text, like science textbook stuff, where it was like very scientific, um, which perhaps maybe for someone at that time may, may not have had that type of knowledge. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of just taking a wild swing here. So there's a lot of stuff that kind of resonated with me with regards to what she was what she mentioned in the book, with regards mm. to technologies and where we are and why they're not communicating with us and all those kind of things, which I actually find pretty cool. Um, but your yeah, your documentary is um, how's it doing, by the way? How's it going? Well, it's um it's always difficult to know without um the actual stats, which which only the streamer has. But IMDB is always a good, you know, sort of neutral. Because you, if you're on IMDb Pro, you can go and have a look there. And I mean, out of all the movies in the world, all shorts, television, whatever, I mean, that's what you're competing against there. And we top 20,000. I think that's amazing um, for a small documentary from South Africa about a woman and an alien lover. Like, um, you know, and, and we're getting very little, um, th- there's not, there's no advertising. There's no we don't have this PR machine behind us. So, yeah, I, 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 I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, but I think it's going to be, a, I think word of mouth is what um, is necessary here. And, and that takes time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can't really tell you how it's doing because I don't know. And also just with your personal career, like have you ever had any lashback? Is anybody going like, I mean, I, I know when I was, uh, I mean, only, I mean, my documentary isn't out yet, but I mean, I was just sitting around the table with my family, with cousins and that, and then they heard I was making a UFA documentary, and they were not impressed. They were like, oh, come on, William, you're better than that. But uh, you know. Yeah, no, listen, that's why this film took 13 years to make, because everyone wanted to see it, but no one wanted to put money on the table. And and then, I mean, now, now tastes have changed, platforms have changed, people are a lot more open to it. Um, but that being said, I think I'm getting, there's a lot of people in the UFO community that is feeling quite um, offended. That's been made very clear to me. Um, and I understand why, because obviously to me, I have presented all sides of the 
coin, and this coin seems to have 2010 sides, um, which is what makes it so interesting, I'd say. And this isn't a believer documentary at all. I mean, this I specialize in female-driven hero and stories. This is an incredibly interesting female for me and a flawed one, very flawed, in a good way, not in a bad way, like any good human is, and then, you know, unpacking that. And um, there's a lot of people who believe, a lot of people who don't. I've, I, I present a lot, as you know. I present, I really present, I you know what it is. I take everyone on the journey that I've been on with this insane, awesome, incredible roller coaster of a story. And, and I've just learned with my other films that I'm going to piss people off because I woke up in the morning. You know, there's, there's the, the people that's not going to get me. And, um, or my film, or the people in my film, or that's going to puke, or they're going to go, ah, I hate that film. That's okay. That's not who I made it for. I made it for the people who get it, for the people who it resonates with, for the people who, where it sparks debate and conversation, because this is one thing about this film. It certainly sparks conversation. Um, and, and that's always first prize. And, I mean, we've got, a, we've got a worldwide release, which is amazing, and that's why it's so hard to know how it's doing, because we don't have access to other countries, you know, you've got friends in other countries, but your friends are, of course, they're going to watch because you're going to make them watch. Um, but it's so, so yeah, but I think there are definitely people who, who feel offended because I didn't just go one way and, and that's okay. And I understand why and I respect their offendedness. It's fine. Um, but I've learned now that the default setting of the human race is someone is always going to be pissed off and misunderstand you um, or the message you were trying to do. So I'm not really, that's not why I'm here about those who feel. Well, look, I saw, I saw, I actually saw the movie on a prime video. Great. Thank you. Cause I also yeah. saw it bloody pirated on every single possible site, which I suppose is a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> Get the message out, man. <laughs> but uh, I was—I must say, look, you know, uh, with regards to uh, a South African documentary, which unfortunately we don't, uh, you know, there's not much overseas that shows what South Africans are actually capable of doing, um, besides the old Leon Schuster stuff. But um, I, it was actually pretty cool. I, I enjoyed it because you didn't pick a side, which is exactly what you said. So you had the—you you showed the evidence of the possibility. And then you had the evidence of the, I mean, even the son said no, he wasn't too, too sure and he wasn't really, you know, uh, involved with that. He didn't kind of believe this stuff. So you show both sides, which uh, I think was, uh, which was actually pretty cool. So it, it left you at the end to decide for yourself. Where do you, where yes. do you think it's, uh, whether you think it's the truth or whether you think perhaps maybe she just kind of went off the, the rails a little bit and kind of came up with a nice love story. But either exactly. way, it was actually pretty cool. Thank you. And you know what? I'm so glad you're saying that because I think in life at the moment, we need a bit more than that. We, we need more of this where we, we you know, people are, people are, audiences are intelligent. Everyone. And, and the other thing is, right, if we, if we are 10 people in a room and we ask all 10 people, draw a house, every single piece of paper is going to look different because your reality and your perception and how you experience something or make your decisions is based on a certain um, life experience that you had and maybe I didn't because mine was different. 
And I think that's what makes this and the story of Elizabeth Clara so complicated because there truly is evidence to support some of the claims. Mm. And there's absolutely evidence to support hard lies. And there's evidence that leaves you with question marks. And, and we can go and decide for ourselves. Because I think if we if we just start deciding for ourselves instead of being spoon-fed, it's a much interesting land, a much more interesting landscape. Um, and maybe we can then start having conversations about it. Why do you believe? Why don't I? Where did you think the question mark was? Where didn't I? And you know, I think I think that's lacquer. That's sort of what I went for. Mm. Uh, Look, I think the general message, sorry, well, I think the general message uh that you try to get across was actually pretty cool. Uh, you know, with regards to the human race, where we need to be while we're on the track we're on, um, how we need to increase our vibrational levels to work together to be able to overcome um, our differences. That's That message, look, although it's been kind of done to death, um, mm. it's a good message. It's a good message. And I think that's the takeaway at the end of the day of that book is that is that we need to be able to to stop our cuck that's going on in the world and just put all our shit aside and work together to make things a, a better place. And you can't you, you can't judge it for that, you know, because that is a solid damn message. Mm. And what what I for me for me personally, um, I say this is an environmental film for me, mm. and that this woman chose one hell of a way to get the attention of people because. Generally out there, the environmental films that's out there speaks to the already converted. And the already converted isn't where the change needs to lie. We know how fucked we are at the moment with our planet. And the way we're treating the planet is just really, for me, um, a reflection of how we're treating each other. Mm. And that goes right back to her message. And the other thing that I keep on saying is we are here on this planet. I don't give a shit about Archon potentially, allegedly, whatever, and his people on their planet, because that's their planet. That's their business. Our business is here. We need to fix this before we start spending too much time and effort on other people if that's their business, that's their planet. This is our planet. It's an incredible, bloody, beautiful ball. And we've got to just change our ways a little, and it starts at home. And I think that for me, is the part of Elizabeth's story that I stand by and what resonated so deeply with me, even at the age of eight. Yeah, 100%. Sorry, Will, what were you going to say? No, no, I just um, talked about Archon there. Um, I remember when I spoke <laughs> last time, you said that you went into the movie thinking it was this your first research when you started making the movie, like you thought this was this lovely love story between Archon and her and then... Mm. The time, honeymoon phase. Tommy, just explain that again. Okay, yeah, I call it like it. Like I, I was in a like it, it's 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 all the elements of a of a, a well abusive relationship. Yes, right? it's just what you what you found out what your <laughs> yeah. archon really was, and like and yeah, because like, yeah, because it, yeah, it starts off, you know, the honeymoon phase. Everything is peachy. He puts his best foot forward. He brings you flowers. He's in his spaceship. He he's he, you know that's quite a bloody. Um, a pickup line, like me and my spaceship, like, wow. I mean, I'd like to see someone who can beat that one. So you've got my attention, right? And, but, but, and also remember now age of eight, eh? And then um, fast forward to 2010, 
well, yeah, we go, we, we, you know, we, and also we made all the mistakes of first time filmmakers, like used our own money, like, cause we didn't think it was going to be a problem to make this. Like, how could it be? And you try and go walk around at ITFA and hot dogs as a first time filmmaker, trying to sell your documentary, which is nonfiction about this woman and an extraterrestrial lover and this amazing scientific knowledge she had. No, that did not go down well, nowhere. But regardless, I stood my ground. The honeymoon phase was amazing. And then the, the castle in the clouds began to crumble a little bit. And I was like, oh shit, I don't think this guy is so cool after all. And took me right back to the cat. And, and then I thought, okay, listen, let's just go environmental. This needs to be a just pure environmental film. We go talk to every single professor in the world. I need to find that no professor in the world wants to talk to you the moment they hear alien, unless it's people completely on that side. And then it just gets very complicated. Um, I was like, okay, okay, no, 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 scrap that idea. Um, and then I started finding out all kinds of things. So, so we went from honeymoon phase and very esoteric to hardcore environmentalism to, you know what, back to the basics where I went, you know what, the best, and this was the closest also I've ever come to giving up, and I don't give up. I mean, that's the only way you get a film made is you don't give up. But this was the closest I ever came to, to giving up. And then in lockdown, I said to myself, I, you know, I can't give up because of all the people that gave so much. Even the people who trusted me to speak on camera for the first time, like a son, like a family members. And I phoned my editor, Joe, and I said, Joe, because he had it with, the, like he had the, the, the backup copy with him. And I said, let's just see what we've got. I haven't looked at what we've got for so long and bless Joe, because if it wasn't for me and Joe and lockdown blues, I, 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 you know, I, I don't know what would have happened. But the point is when we did that, I started seeing what we had and I started getting excited about it all over again and invigorated and going, you know what, the best way to do this is to just do it and take them on the roller coaster ride that I've been on. Authenticity. People, here's a story. She says this happened. And listen, for me, so, so remember, he, uh, let's go back to honeymoon phase. She, and also for Elizabeth, this is ultimate romance. There's this guy who has been calling her name since the age of eight. Oh, my hell. Like same age as I was or four or five, whatever age she was. Calling her name, trying to get her attention. In today's age, that's called grooming. Okay. But we, we park that. Until she's old enough to go, because he needs to infuse his, his bloodline, because the bloodline is too pure, allegedly. So he grooms this woman that is the closest to what he feels is, you know, <clears throat> ticks all his boxes, asshole again. And he takes her up, makes her pregnant, takes the baby, keeps the baby, sends her back, and pisses off. Ugh, classic asshole, don't you think? So not as advanced, because that's not advanced. That's not advanced at all. That's called asshole. So, so, so you see how we go from honeymoon to just heartbreak. Like you take a child, you take it. And of course, she doesn't see it like this at all. She doesn't explain it like this. 
at all. Yeah, and those on her side don't see it like this either. But you know what? I'm the filmmaker and I see it like that. But again, I'll present you with everything because maybe you don't see it like that either. But then I can also sound like a bit of a racist as well. Like, I mean, you didn't sound like I will. <laughs> no, I'll let John Carney deal with that part because I must say that that was part of the, I think I should just give up now. When I, because that I uncovered very, very late in this journey because the book I was working from was not the original book, which had all of that in. I had the, the, the New Age book, which um, a New Age publicist in the States and here took it and they put a new cover on it, and conveniently, these very problematic lines were removed. So I never knew about this. And, and I mean, I, I, I'd like to think I pretty much know everything about the story, well, as much as one possibly can with research and speaking to people. And then at the time, this was now before lockdown, but um, my, my then husband, hated the story. He hated it so much. He just thought it was a port cuck, like many other people in the world. And I said to him, listen, you can think that, but then at least read the book, put a producer's hat on and see the potential of the story. Because this is about, this is about potential of story. Mm -hmm. And he took the train to work. And my mom at that point went and found her original copy of the book. And he had that. I wasn't working off that. Remember, I had my new book. And then about a month or so later, he came to me and he said, listen, he is shocked and appalled. He hates it even more. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And that's how I discovered that. I would never have known. And thank God I did. Because there's people out there, let me tell you, and this I had to learn the hard way too. There's a few very um, far-right groups that use that book and those paragraphs almost as part of their manifesto mm. for their evil deeds, or not evil deeds, but like to support their very warped idea of the world. Wow. So this author, yeah. he doesn't sound, he sounds like a terrible. He sounds like a Nancy. <laughs> I think so. And remember, Arkon, his whole race, allegedly, they've got blue eyes and blonde hair. Even the animals are white. Like all the animals that they don't eat, of course not, are white. Mm -hmm. I, I don't, I mean, I'm not saying don't eat animals. I'm just saying they are so perfect and pure. They don't eat animals. They don't die. They don't get old. They eat the plant and it's a contraceptive. It's a very convenient planet for all the worst possible reasons. I mean, the plant yeah. is a great idea. I mean, I'd love to eat a plant and that solves a lot of problems, but... When we go and unpack this nation or civilization, ugh, problematic, I'd say. Yeah, we, we uh, Will and I actually had a discussion. Uh, <laughs> I think it was our which podcast, our first, our first one, our first podcast. We were actually talking about um, the the breakaway civilizations and possible, um, you know, the stuff that we've seen currently is all probably German, German made and. You got you know because the Germans were trying to recreate this race of blonde and blue-eyed uh, beings, and uh, you know when Archon pops up, he kind of looks similar to <laughs> he looks similar to their uh, to their idea. So we thought, geez, you know, the way he was acting, um, basically, well, I wouldn't say abducting the kid, but taking the kid, 
um, the ideas that he had behind himself is exactly what uh, back in those days, Nazi Germany were actually trying to accomplish. So mm. it, it was it was quite weird. <laughs> we think about maybe it's actually not from outer space, but actually from closer closer to home than oh, uh, from a zillion miles no. away. Maybe it was a break. break Sorry, I was thinking because it was. Maybe it was a breakaway civilization because his race was too pure. Because obviously, if there was a small amount of people that broke away from Earth and and were only breeding with each other the whole time, like they didn't have any other, yeah. they had to come and groom some, as you say, groom people, somebody to purify the bloodline. It makes more and more sense that maybe it was a breakaway civilization. And yeah, absolutely. And if you choose the right person, she will see it as romantic. And, you know, hero on a white horse, apologies, I mean, white spaceship, whatever. But, I mean, this also actually for me resonates with very much with Handmaid's Tale. You know, all these extreme Hitlerish, I love that show so much. Um, we, 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 are, we are fast on our way, yeah, just with what we're doing to each other, to our own very version of that all over again. You know, it's like... And I think I think that's what's interesting about Elizabeth is nothing that she, if you take the essence, the fundamental essence, if we take away this guy and his problems and what he did and and all of that, and you just take the fundamentals of her message, excluding those damn paragraphs because we deal with that, but the message of, um, and that's why I loved how Carney handled it because Dr. Carney said, we need to find a new language, a language of reconciliation. And, you know, reconciliation goes, ties further into environmentalism, love, you know, all the bloody big old cliches, which is really all we need. It's not that hard. We just can't seem to. But now, you know, now, now people, there's a vendetta out on, um, like you said, maybe the cousins who, nah, this is bullshit spaceships where maybe if we just sit around a table and hear each other out we can even you know they say sometimes when the argument's not worth it if you say one plus two is 2005 i'm gonna go with it or the crown is green but you say it's red i'm gonna go cool go with it but at least i heard you out at least i heard your reality because elizabeth's reality was this guy is awesome he loves me he loves me so much that he made me have a baby with him. And remember, she was 48. So wow. hats off also to, to, you know, allegedly or not, that she did, wasn't 25. Like, that's the only high five Archon will get from me, is the fact that, and in fact, it's not his high five. It's her high five because she told the lie, allegedly. Yeah, sure, because he could have had, like, he could have gone for a hot 25-year-old. You, you, you're right. Yeah. You know what I mean? So yes, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> how, how, old is, how old is her son? Her other son? I mean, like, when did she have him? Was it earlier or later or afterwards? Earlier, no, earlier. So, so she had David and Marilyn with her previous husband. Oh yes, because I remember in your in the documentary, he actually she spoke about taking her son to the place and they saw a spaceship, and he was and he said in the documentary, like, yeah, I remember we went there, we were on the horses or whatever. But I didn't see any spaceship. I don't know what my mother was going on about. But maybe I don't know. Depressed or whatever from you know the whole UFO phenomenon. The memory gets depressed or whatever, and there's all that argument. No, he specifically said he did touch on that because that's the question I asked him. He said, "David, what if he brainwashed you?" And he says in the film, 
Well, that would be really sad because I, if I could vouch for my mum, because remember, he loves right, his mum dearly. He's had his own UFO experiences separate to all of this. And if he so cool that he also had his own UFO. Yes, yes. yes. So he's not. He's not. Yeah, he's not saying I don't believe. La la la. He's saying I was there. This didn't happen. And if only I could be your witness, I would be the first one to say I was there. This is the truth. That's also what the phenomenon always in paranormal phenomenon, UFO phenomenon, all of it. It always gives you so much, but it always keeps it so vague and it never can like, so it's like part of that uh, phenomenon that it would have actually done something because he had actually had his own UFO experiences. So it takes you that far in believing him that far, but then you can't actually vouch for that, that thing, which keeps it still mysterious and vague and, uh, you know, weird. And like, he still leaves you on the fence. Was it true? Was it not? And it always happens at all of these, these, the phenomenon over and over again. That it can never just come out straight and okay. be like, here it is. Here we are. But now I'm going to burst that bubble for you. Okay. Because that specific example, she says they rode by horse from A to B. Now I have personally, I've, I've gone back to all these spots a million times. Okay, a million times. I'm exaggerating, but I've been there a lot. It is not possible to ride that with a horse. And that entire Midlands is horse people. There's horse farmers. There's the greatest horse riders and horse breeders are there. You cannot ride a horse the way she said they casually rode a horse. So that's also a problem David has. The biggest problem for me out of all of this, and it's question marks, I'm not shooting anything down or up, is the fact that she wrote, and that's in the film, we don't want to give too much away, but she wrote a book in the 50s where there was no baby. Archon's name was a different name and it was a different planet. And 20, 25 years later, when the world became more open, we've had Woodstock, we've had made love, not war. It became a red hot love affair where babies was made on red velvet in a spaceship up in the sky. Do you know what I mean? I mean, even way, her, she just. Are you talking about a manuscript before that, or what? Yes. Oh, so you had the man, you got the manuscript. Oh, well, yeah, it's in the film as well. We filmed some of it, but I read that whole manuscript. It completely contradicts the book written twenty-five years later. Oh wow! But that's also because when you in, uh, when you um, interviewed um, um, I mean, why, why am I going blank now? Um, Paul, Paul Slab. When you Paul Slab, I mean, he said he also said a very um, awesome thing. He uh, he he said that he he believes it up to an extent, but to get the word out, you had to be. She had to put a bit of frills and stuff on the on the on the. Yeah, to lie her truth. Had to lie her truth, which I thought was quite amazing how he how he put that. Um, Yeah, that's my. That's my that's my go-to line in most interviews. Because like if you just stuck with the story and didn't have to like I don't know, but yeah, anyway, I think it was cool that he said that. But that's a documentary, right? We've got to go and and find the good, the bad, and the ugly. And and I think, but but Elizabeth Clara was not. I don't think she was a bad person. I think she had a good heart. I think 
she she i personally this is my personal opinion and i ha- i found no evidence to back this this is my own gut talking now so please like note um but i think there is a trauma response to something and maybe she had an experience of seeing something interesting but this fantasy became a reality that made life easier for her because i think she was probably an empath and she felt the pain of the world very very deep in a time where we didn't even have words for these things in a time where we were in the thick of apartheid in the thick of women barely having rights um and and it must have been tough for someone otherworldly ish during that time you know to maybe be a bit eccentric in that and yet everyone loved us so much eh? i think the one thing that really resonated deeply with me through this whole process is obviously like i would say 10% of what we shot made that film there's so many interviews that couldn't get fit, fitted in because you know it it was duality or it was a repeat of something else but i spoke to a lot of people all over the world and even her greatest critics who met her would say and this was the one, i still need to meet one person who did not say this is that regardless of what their thoughts was on the story she was mesmerizing and there was something so otherworldly about her she would walk into a room and the room would change the room would not be the same again and that for me is also very very interesting i think we all lie our truth a little bit and every time that maybe we want to judge elizabeth we need to remember that so do we mm. 100% what what a nice way to end the interview yeah. Oh, yeah, thanks, Hugo, man. Much appreciated for you yeah. coming on, on board and giving us a bit of a chat about your, and I hope it really does well, seriously. I mean, I, I enjoyed it. Um, you guys must definitely watch Beyond the Light Barrier. It's on Prime Video. Um, you can definitely get it. That's good old South African TV and video. <laughs> and then if you if you like it, go rate it on IMDb, but only if you like it. If you don't like it, stay away, please. Yeah, I'll go and rate it. I'll rate it. I'll definitely rate it. <laughs> Okay, thanks guys ciao cool. thanks Uga. ciao 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 that's it for the evening and um, hope to see you guys uh, next week um, thank you for joining us on the strange and mysterious world with William and Lee and yeah see you next week